Well, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians, the first chapter. We are still in chapter one, and, and we will be looking at verse 10 today. I'm, I'll read verses 10 through 24. And in all honesty, I was prepared to take this whole section together and to preach this in one sermon. But verse 10 just got too good. So we just want to keep this sermon together, but yet we're going to march through the first half of this and just kind of see where we get today. So if you will stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. This is the very word of God breathed out for us. What we hear read is the very voice of Jesus speaking to us. This is the word of God. Hear the voice of Christ. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the, tra the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not, did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I, did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. And the Lord had a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. I'd like to tag today's text and next Sunday's text, Lord willing, free to testify today. Free to testify today. Let us look to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father God, we come, we come before your throne of grace, Lord. May you give us the grace to approach you humbly, lowly, acknowledging you as the Alpha and the Omega, creator and sustainer, the beginning and the end. Father, we honor you as the one who has set forth your plan 
to redeem a broken and lost people unto yourself, that you would so graciously set your affections upon this people. So, Father, I just thank you. Thank you for being the I am God. And today, Lord, somebody needs you to be I am. Whatever situation or circumstance may be going on in our hearts and minds, Father, you are. And we need only turn to you. Father, whether it's illness, whether, whether it's financial, whether it's familial, whatever it is, Lord, you are in control and we need only look to you. And to trust in you with all our heart and lean out on our own understanding. Father, this morning we say thank you for Jesus Christ, who is our Savior. For through his blood, we have forgiveness of sin. Through his broken body, we have been reconciled back unto you, and now you have set us free. So, Father, may we live free. And Father, upon this morning, we thank you for thy spirit. For through your spirit, you convict us of sin. You reveal truth unto us. You burden our hearts for the lost. And Father, right now, I ask by the power of your spirit that you would please, please, open up our eyes to your word. That we may see Jesus as glorious and marvelous as he is. By the power of your spirit, O oh God, please, Holy Spirit, open up our ears that we would hear you clearly today that the distractions of this world would not be a stumbling block unto us. Holy Spirit, please soften our hearts that we may receive your word with gladness, not out of religious tradition. Father, do something awesome today just because you are. Open up our eyes. Come now. Come now, Lord. In Jesus' precious and holy name we do pray. Amen. Amen. You know, it's that saying, everybody has a past. Everybody has a past. And most times when we hear that phrase, everyone has a past, we use it in a sense to try to cover something up. We really don't want people to know how we used to be, so we just kind of leave it out there. Well, you know I got a past. Or we kind of use that as an excuse for someone, maybe behaving a certain way. We may see things on the outside, not knowing what's going on on the inside, so we say everybody has a past. And that is true. Everybody does have a past. We do have a history. There is a, a, there's a narrative that was written by me as I grew through life. There's a narrative being written by you. You have a story and you have a past. But as much as we would like to cover up some stuff, we can't. Because what took place in the past actually makes you who you are today. Your likes and dislikes pretty much have come about because of your past. Your taste and your temperament has pretty much come about because of your past. And we can go on and on, but who you are right now, today, in the present, is because of your past. 
Not only does your past make you, but your past marks you. There's an imprint stamped on your life because of your past. There's a brand on your forehead because of your past. There's a, there's a, a way you speak and talk, the way you use words, the, the way you look at people, your demeanor, everything about you is because of your past. And it could be small stuff. I remember being young and my father had fixed us a, a meal and as I cast my eyes upon this dinner, it was not pizza, it was not burgers, it was not anything a child would want. It was a big boiling bowl of split pea soup. In all of its glorious greenness. I remember that moment to this day looking at that and saying, I am not eating that. And him saying, yes, you are. Oh, thank the Lord for mothers. Because I called my mother and said, Mama, Daddy trying to make me eat this split pea soup. And said, well, baby, just put it in the bottom of the fridge. I'll eat it when I get home. But you know what? To this day, I haven't tasted split pea soup. I, I probably would like it. I have a, 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 a peculiar palate. <laughs> but I just can't go near it. So something as small as an experience like that has formed me and shaped me today. To uh, There's certain things I will do and certain things I won't do based upon my past. How about you? And the way we think about our past, we often only want to see the good stuff as the stuff that made us who we are today. But that's not God's story. See, God doesn't want, want a cover-up to take place because he uses all that stuff from your past to make you who you are right now, not for you, but for his purpose. That's what's so freeing about the gospel. Most people see the gospel as something that destroys your past, but beloved, I'm here to tell you today, the gospel is something that employs your past. It takes all that stuff and put it to work. And God wants to use your story. He wants to use your narrative. He wants to use your ups and your downs. He wants to use when you were walking right and when you weren't walking right. He wants to use all that stuff for his purposes today. See, because the gospel completely frees, know that God will use the past of his people to accomplish his present purposes. That's past grace. That's present grace. And that's future grace. Because of the freedom that comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this morning, we're going to take a trip down memory lane with Paul as he recalls his past in response to questions being brought up about his character. So in verses 10 through 14, we see Paul begins his, his excursion into the historical side of grace. Remember, there's a historical, theological, and practical side of grace in this book. And now we are fully immersing ourselves in the historical side of grace. The occasion for this book 
is some have come in and are preaching a false gospel that is not a gospel at all. It is a gospel that you, you, you need Jesus plus you need to be circumcised. You, you can't just come to Jesus as a Gentile. You have to become a Jew first. That's the gospel they're preaching, and Paul is standing against that because they were preaching a gospel that actually bound you instead of a gospel that set you free. See, in this, this group called the Judaizers, they had come in, and not only did they try to uh, 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 tarnish Paul's reputation as an apostle, but they also wanted to bring into question about his motives. Paul, what's your motivation? They wanted the, the church to believe that Paul was actually just being pleasant to them Gentiles. As he brought the Gentiles the gospel, surely he was just uh, trying to be pleasing by saying, oh, no, you don't have to become a Jew. Just trust Jesus. But the Judaizers were saying, no, you need to be a Jew as well. So this is the situation. This is the scenario. So in the following verses, Paul demonstrates for this group that his only motivation, his only motivation is to be pleasing to God. Let's dig in. Let's look at verse 10. As we look at verse 10, reach into your pocket, reach into your purse, put your phone on vibrate because we're about to go. All right, verse 10, verse 10. The gospel of grace frees you from your past to passionately pursue Jesus now. Hear that. This gospel of grace, it frees you from your past, and it does something so that you may passionately pursue Jesus now. For I am for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? He uses this rhetorical argument. Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. That's one of those shouting verses in the church. Like, it don't matter what they say. I'm rolling with Jesus. I don't matter what the world says. I'm going to be with God. But this is also an indictment on the church in Galatia because they were preaching this new gospel, this false gospel that said you needed something else. This is an indictment on them. But verse 10, if you would, is Paul's, his mission statement, his purpose statement. If he had a banner, if he had a business card, I'm, he would put something like this on there. If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Okay. I'm not crazy, right? I hear that, right? All right. Let's put that up. Thank you. This is his purpose statement. And what he reveals, he reveals this this, this compound ingredient, this explosive chemical in his purpose. Because what Paul 
does, he takes his past plus his present, he mixes in grace, and guess what comes out? Purpose. That's what God does. He takes your past, he takes your present, and he takes grace, mixes it in your life, and what comes out on the other side is the purpose. God has a purpose for you right now. He's not waiting for you to get somewhere. If you are in Christ Jesus, if you are a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ, he has a purpose for you right now. God is not waiting for you to arrive. Because what he's saying is, Jesus already rose. He's already here. If you're in Christ, you arrive. And I have something for you right now. This is Paul's motivation. And as he declares this, we see firstly, this is a declaration of freedom. That's what this is. See, because of the gospel, Paul is no longer man-centered. He's God-centered. Look at the text. He says, for I am I now seeking the approval of man? Or am I trying to please man? And he lays that argument out, and he uses those, those two key terms, seeking, trying. Why, why, does he, why, why those words? Why does he say, I'm here to please man, or I'm not here to please man? I'm here to serve. What, he, he's laying out this argument is that when you try to please people, it's something that's going to keep on going. It's going to be continual. You think, you think you made it with the end crowd? I'll let your wardrobe go out of day. You think you made it with the end crowd? Just, just, just say something a little bit wrong. Just, if you think you, you're really in with the people, well, well, how would they treat you when you make a mistake? What he's saying is when you're trying to please people, you're on, a, you're on that, that, that hamster wheel always trying to keep up. You're always trying to run. You're, and, and now you become this performance-driven person. You can't rest because you always wonder what they're thinking. You always wonder, have you really arrived? Have you really made it? And you're always saying, what do I need to do next? It's ongoing. But Paul says, I'm free of that. No longer am I enslaved to human opinion. I don't care what y'all say about me. Y'all talk about I'm not an apostle. You talk about I got wrong. I, I ain't worried about you. you. You think I'm here to try to please people? If I were here to try to please people, I wouldn't just say it in, in verses 6 through 9, let y'all go to hell for preaching another gospel. Because it's never popular to tell somebody, let them go to hell. It's not popular to preach hell. It's not popular to say there's only one way to God. So Paul is saying, if I were really trying to be pleasing, I would not have told you all that stuff I just said. Because now you don't like me. I'm not living for the approval of man. And what, once that is cut free, I mean, like right now, it, 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 that is a weight around somebody's neck right now. You, you're not worried about your life or what God has you to do, you worried about what they say about you. You worried about what they think about you. You worried about do you really fit in. You, you worried about can they tell. 
Do they know? Can they see? And you're trying to cover up, but Jesus says, you're free of that. Paul is walking in his freedom. It don't matter what y'all say. I ain't trying to please you. No matter what you think, I ain't trying to please you. My performance is not here to to be a show for your, uh, like a sitcom that you can sit and watch. I am here for the pleasure of God and God alone. It's a declaration of freedom, but this is a declaration of deliverance. Because what Paul says here, he's saying, I wasn't always free. I wasn't always like this. I wasn't always able to stand in front of you and not care about what you say. And and, where does he say that? He says that where he says, if I were still trying to please man. Y'all catch that? If I were still trying to please man. What Paul Paul is referencing, he's looking back at, at, at his life as a Pharisee. You'll see later on in the text, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He kept all the laws. He was zealous. He was rising quickly. People thought he was the man. He studied under one of the top rabbis at that time. So people was looking at Paul like, man, who is this? But he admits, the reason why I was doing that is because I care what people say. I kept the law because I wanted people to say I was blameless. I stayed at the synagogue because I didn't want nobody calling my house saying why I wasn't at church. Like, I did all the religious stuff because I, I wanted to make sure that everybody knew I had it going on. He said, but I'm free now. See, something happened to, to Paul to change his earthly pursuits because no longer does he, does he pursue man's approval. No longer is he worried about this. He's not worried about it. See, Paul's entire argument here, it hinges on the fact that he acknowledges he has a past. Yup. Yup. I used to be worried about that. I used to care. I used to work. I used to try to show off. I was where if everyone, I wanted the glory. I wanted to be in the middle of the room. I want people to, to, to take selfies with me. I wanted people getting my autograph. I, when I showed up on the scene, I wanted all the crowd around me. Yep, that was me. He's not ashamed to say that he used to. But, beloved, he says, I used to. And there's a point in our lives that if we're going to be genuine followers of Christ, well, we have to say, I used to. If we're going to be genuine followers of Jesus Christ, there's going to have to be a moment where you say, you know what? I used to be like that. When they call you and say, come on out, I I used to be like that. On the job, when your boss is is driving you crazy and you used to go off, I I used to. when, 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 when you're not handling your money well, being a, a steward of what God has given you, and, and not at sale, is at the mall, and you're like, well, I can pay water, or I can buy these shoes. I, uh, well, I, I used to. See, uh, when, that, when that phone call comes at 1 o'clock in the, in the morning, and, and you've been all by yourself, lonely all day, and, and that text comes through, and it, it vibrates, you can look at it and say, I used to. There has to come. A moment in your life where you can say, I used to. 
There's so many Christians that, that I can't, can we say Christians? There's many people who believe that because they make a profession of faith and they have sewn on the, the, the I love Jesus button, that, all, that they're saved, they're set apart, and God's going to bless them, and they're walking in God's favor. But when they look at their lives, they can't say I used to to anything. They don't say I used to. They say I still do. And they're not living for Christ. Has there been a moment in your life where you hit a situation and you say, I used to. When they, when they come around the block and they blaze up, and they're in a group, and you're like, ooh, it's been a hard day, but I used to. Uh, and when, when, when sin is in your face, and you say, ah, Lord, I, I used to. Why can you say, I used to? Because there was a moment on the road to Damascus when he met Jesus. And beloved, if you've really met Jesus, no matter what road that you've been on, no matter how it's been turning, how it's been winding, how it's been grinding, but if you met Jesus on that road, there's something that's going to be different about you. When we look at the biblical text of scriptures and we see people's lives and they say he met Jesus, you don't turn three chapters back and say they're back in the hood. They say, no, they're following Jesus. And, and, and Jesus was picking up a crew because people would meet him and keep following him. See, I don't know about you. I'm going to be part of Jesus' crew. I don't want to just meet him on the road and go back to the hood. I'm going to go where he goes. I'm going to sit where he sits because I know what the word says, that he's sitting with the Father right now in heaven. My homeboys can't do nothing for me. My job can't really do nothing for me. Can't nobody really do nothing for me. It's all Christ. So Paul is free because he is saying, I used to. But God has turned me around. He has done something, a marvelous work in my life. He's, he's taken the taste out of my mouth. He, he's taking it out of my peripheral vision. And my, my ears are closed to that talk. My ears are closed to that sound. Like, I, I, don't, I don't even want to be around it anymore. I don't know about you. There, there's a certain times where you, you go into a situation and, and you're like, I can't even be around that anymore. I got to go. Because it used to. So this is a, this is a declara declaration of deliverance. He's been delivered. He's been set free. By the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then this is also a declaration of submission. Where do we get that from? He closes where he says, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. A servant. What Paul is acknowledging is that you can only serve one master. He's acknowledging that though he may have used to serve the world, or used to serve man, he now serves Christ. He has 
humbled himself under Christ and submitted to Christ. He is saying that there's been a, a change of teams. I, I understand that, that those are mutually exclusive statements. Uh, to please, to be pleasing the man, it can't be same in the, said in the same sentence uh, to be pleasing of God. It, it's like the law of non-contradiction. You can't have both. It's either you're pleasing man or you're pleasing God. It, it, you, can't, you can't double dutch with Christ. It's like, I, I, I'm not on this side one day, and I'm on this side. Oh, oh my fault, that's, that's, that's my jump rope. Like somebody's like, oh, oh, I'm in the middle, and I'm having a good time. Ah, 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 and, and, and you're trying to live this middle life. Where is that? Where is that? That's not in scripture. Either you're pleasing man or you're pleasing to God. There's no middle ground. This is a declaration of submission. Jesus, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, however long you want me to stay, He's not on the fence. He's now free. He's free. To do what, though? To do what, though? To be a servant of Christ. To live in a way that is pleasing to God. Did did you hear that? Not pleasing to you. Not pleasing to your boo. Pleasing to God. That's his declaration. That's it. Paul's present purpose is a result of this gospel of grace. He's completely free. He actually realizes that can't nobody else place their unwarranted unfounded expectations on my back, I don't have to live with that. You can't drop that in my lap and make me pick it up. I don't have to pick up that burden. I don't have to pick up that yoke because I'm free. This is what he's saying. So the question that we need to ask ourselves today is if the gospel has really set us free, then why are we still bound to the court of public opinion? Why do we still care what people say? Why won't we share Jesus on the job? Well, you know they said we can't talk about Jesus on the job, really? Really? And, 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 And your job is the one who supplies all your needs and riches and glory? Well, you know, I don't I don't want to be offensive to anyone. Well, Jesus lets us know that the gospel is offensive. Because you actually have to tell someone, no, you're wrong. Well, you know, I just, I just, I just, I just want to live this life and, and, and private and, you know, that public life, I'm just going to leave alone. Jesus says you don't have that choice. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. 
He, he says go. That, that is a command. That's not a suggestion. He says you are to go. You are to tell people about the good news of Christ. But really think about it. How motivated are we to be pleasing in the eyes of others? That is something we all struggle with, if we're honest with ourselves. Consider me, consider the number of ways we are trying to be pleasing in the eyes of others. Consider like, like how you dress. Does that please God? Does it please others? Think about how you talk. What you say. Does that please God? Does that please others? See, we, we, we need to get into the details of our life. The way you act on your job, like, is that pleasing to God? Or is that pleasing to others? The relationship you're in right now, is that pleasing to God? Or is that pleasing to others? And we, we have to ask these questions, really. We have to wake up and say, okay, okay, is, is what I'm about to do today pleasing to God? Or is it pleasing to others? And we have to make a, a conscious, we can't just go with the flow. We can't just go. Because you're, you're either intentionally moving to communion with Jesus or you're drifting away. That's it. You're either pursuing Jesus, trying to love you. You may fall and stumble and and skin your knee, but you're going to get up and and you're going to keep pressing. You're going to keep fighting. You may get tripped and clipped, but you're you're going to dust yourself off and say, but I'm going to keep going. I'm not asking that you live a a perfect life because Jesus doesn't ask that of us. He wants us to live a sacrifice life. That's what he wants. Think about it. We love people's approval. See, the, the, the whole reason we're on social media is to get them thumbs up. We live for likes. We live for someone to like what I'm doing. We want them to approve, to affirm, to say, oh, you got it going on. Look at, look at your life. Oh, you're so interesting. You're a, you're a renaissance man. You sure have a lot going on. We live for likes. You know, I was just sharing with Red. I, I was reading this past week. Did, did you know that slot machine designers are designing mobile apps? Like, because like, in a casino, they study people's habits and responses, and they build the machines to keep people engaged and active. So, so like, you know, things like they don't put clocks in the casino. Why? Because they don't want you to worry about what time it is. You just stay there. You just keep pulling. And, and then it lights up, it blinks, you're like, ooh, pretty. And, and, you, and, you, and you stay there. Do you know that those same designers are designing mobile apps? So you, you wonder why you keep pulling your phone out your pocket? It's like because they know what you like. Satan comes as an angel of light. He comes in any ways that he knows he can get you, and he does that to draw you away. So now your whole life, you're living for the approval of everyone else, and you don't even know it. 
Well, you know, that's how millennials are these days. But you know what? Hey, if you were in Christ, you was Jesus before you was a millennial. Because the word says, before time even began, he set you apart. You was his before there's even anything called a millennial. See, you see what happened right there? Because there, there's a, some certain expectations of millennials, you take that expectation and put it on your back. You ain't got to live like every millennial. You ain't got to succumb to and be like everybody in Generation X. Why? Because you belong to Jesus and the gospel done set you free. Yeah, you're going to be weird and peculiar and people might talk about you, but guess what? That just kind of comes with the package because Jesus was peculiar, Jesus was different, but Jesus sits on the throne right now in glory forever and ever and ever and ever. How motivated are we to be pleasing in the eyes of God? See, underneath all of this, there's actually a bigger issue. And the matter is conformity. That's what's at stake. Who will you be conformed to? Will you be conformed to the image of Christ? Romans 8, 29. Because that, that's, that's the goal for every Christian. I hope you knew that before you signed up. God, God says, I, I'm going to take your broke, jacked up life that ain't worth anything, that's not valuable. You couldn't pawn it. You can get anything of value back. Okay? He says, but I'm going to take that. I'm going to mix in some grace, and I'm going to change the compound that comes out, and you're going to be valuable because you're going to start looking like my son, and, and the more you look like my son, the more radiant people will see you, and when they see you, they're going to give glory to me. Or are you being conformed to the world? That's, that, this, is, this is the fundamental question. Will you be conformed to Christ, or will you continue to be conformed to the world? Because the text says, and John, that if you're conformed to this world, this world is passing away. It's fading away. It's going to be, it's going to be gone. But those who are pursuing Jesus, not perfectly, they just love Jesus and depend upon him daily. That's it. I just love Jesus and I'm going to pursue him and, and, and his grace is going to do something in my life. Those are the people who will last for an eternity with Christ. At, at the heart of conformity is one last matter. See, to live for the approval of others actually means you're living for yourself. Because to be man-centered is to be self-centered. Who's at the center? Me. Why? Because I care what they say. Who's at the center? Me. Because I want what they got. Who's at the center? Me. Because I, 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 I'm my own God, and I want everyone to bow down to me. So to be man-centered is actually to be self-centered, which is sin 
and idolatry. T- turn with me to 2 Corinthians 5.15. This is an incredible passage of Scripture. So encouraging. So encouraging here. We can start at verse 11 and just kind of walk through the 2 Corinthians, the 5th chapter. We're going to start with verse 11. Here, Paul, again, this, this, this do who's free. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Verse 15, and he died for all, that those who live, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. He's, he's risen, he's ascended. Therefore, 17, he's walking. When you no longer live for yourself, but you begin to live for the one who died for yourself, verse 17 happens. What's verse 17? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You want to be brand new? Stop living for yourself. You You want a new life? New opportunities, uh, 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 do-overs with God. Stop living for yourself. Live for the one who died for your sake, Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. That is the gospel. We are either moving in God's purposes or drifting from God's purposes. See, but see the grace here. When we look at verses 11 through 24, Paul already knows he's a grace case. He, he knows that he had nothing to do with who he is now. But Jesus came and arrested him. Through his affections. If your desire is to be new, don't, don't leave here thinking that you can do it. You can't all of a sudden say, well, you know what, I'm going to be a Christian and I'm, I'm going to do this. And no, you're keeping the law. Because you have an imaginary list of what Christians should do, so you're going to start doing it. No. Don't work for your faith, work from your faith. When Jesus Christ saves you, he doesn't make you do these things you just love to because it draws you back to him. Why do I pray? Because I love Jesus. Why do I read my Bible? Because I love Jesus. Why did I go to church? Because the people of Jesus be there and I love Jesus. And, and we do these things not because it's going to get me to heaven or make me acceptable to anyone else. I do these things because Jesus loves me. This is the grace. 
So we don't work and, and try to hold on. We say, have mercy, Lord. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I need your grace today. Please help me to love you, to live for you, to desire you, all by grace. That's Paul's present motivation. The gospel of grace frees you from your past to passionately pursue Jesus now. Now. Let us pray. Father, your grace is sufficient and sweet. Your grace is amazing and abounding. Your grace is wonderful and winsome. Lord, your grace is fantastic, and all we can say is thank you and receive your grace. Thank you that this gospel of grace actually sets us free from all struggle and all bondage and all expectations. Lord, you set us free to live freely for you, for whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Father, thank you for that truth. And Father, I beg, Holy Spirit, I beg that you will impress upon someone's heart, that you would regenerate them right now and allow them to trust you now by grace, through faith in Christ. Father, have your way within our hearts. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.